Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, listeners. If you're a Christian, see if you find these kinds of scenarios familiar. You're around a group of, a group of Christians, and they're getting into what at least seems on the surface to be very deep conversation. And primarily what they're talking about is what specifically is going to happen at the end of the world, when people are going to be raptured, what the Antichrist is really going to be like, and what all the plagues will actually be like, and so on and so forth. Are we pre-trib? Are we post-trib? Are we mid-trib? Or something like that. Or maybe you're around a group of Christians, and what they're talking about is the differences between Catholic theology and Protestant theology, and how deeply important all of that is, and they need to figure out all the particulars and all the details, and so on. Or perhaps you're around a Christian group, and all they seem to be able to talk about is whether or not we are ruled by free will or determinism, whether God decides everything for us, or we decide everything for ourselves, and on and on it goes. Now, of course, you might be familiar with this kind of environment. You might be a participant in this kind of environment. You might even be creating this kind of environment. Now, this isn't just limited to Christians. You might be around philosophical thinkers, and all they are talking about is whether, and all the time, they're talking about whether or not they're Platonist or Kantian, or whether they agree with the philosophy of Aristotle, or if they use the style of Socrates, and so on and so forth. Now, those kinds of conversations, in my opinion, have their place. Occasionally, it is useful to talk about things like whether the proper interpretation of this particular scripture is this or that. In fact, I had a conversation about that very thing just the other night. But if that is all you ever hear, then you're encountering a problem. In the Gospels, right now I'm going through the Gospel, I believe, of Luke, if it's not Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's Luke. Jesus, at one point, is talking to the Pharisees, and he specifically points out that they have a bunch of very religious and pious behaviors that leave out the more important aspects of the truth, the weightier matters of the law. He points out that they will sacrifice their cumin and their turmeric and so on, but they will not lift a finger to help the poor. They point out that they will, in their lip service, honor the idea of honoring your parents, but if their sacrifice is to God, then they don't have to take care of their ailing old parents. It is to God, after all. This is more important. Jesus points out that their piety avoids the weightier matters of the law. And this is the flaw that I see essentially in intellectuals. See, intellectuals are very good at making their talk 
the important matters of their behavior and so on sound so darn important. In fact, this is a proper place to put this phrase, so goddamn important. They talk all the live long day about these weighty matters and all of these distinctions and all of these labels and so on and so forth, all of these interpretations and differences of theology. And then they go home and they think they've done a good day's work because they've talked about the weighty matters things. Now, there are other versions of this as well. You can have people, politicians, by the way, are very good at this. People who go out and in public, they will do all the, quote, right things and they will say all the right things. They will claim allegiance to all of the right things. In fact, in America, we have a bit, in my opinion, of an epi epidemic of people who consider themselves very good for having all the possible loyalties and justifications for the nation of Israel, the Holy Land. And then they go home. And what do they do with their children? How do they treat their wife? Do they pray? And if they pray, do they pray with honest words from their gut and from their heart? From their concerns and worries, from their doubts? From their joy, do they share that with God? Or are they just parroting things? Oh, holy God, Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer, bless this, bless that. Put a hedge around this. Expose that. What are they really doing? See, there's a great deal of such people who will go home, and before bed, perhaps, they'll give their pious prayer. And they essentially ignore their children. They're short with their spouse. And I say spouse now because this applies just as much to men as it does to women. They have no patience or time for them. They don't give them their affection, their attention, their love, their consideration, their empathy. See, they're all spent. They're completely spent. Why? Because they've spent all their day doing all the pious and good things. They've been out volunteering. They've been out painting a homeless person, or sorry, not a homeless person, painting a poor person's house. They've been out giving food to the poor. They've been out doing this and that. And when they go home, they have no time and no energy for their own family. What are these people really doing? And again, I want to stress the fact that this is not just a Christian flaw. We live in a, as it is often called, Judeo-Christian nation. What really formed our standard of morality and government and so on is Judeo-Greco Judeo thought. Judeo-Christian morality Judea, or sorry, Christian Greco thought. Why? Because we came out of the universality of Greek thought and the universality of Christian morality. So anyways, but leaving that distinction aside, it's a bit of a nitty-gritty in the same way as the things I've just been talking about. Anyway, in this nation, 
even if you are not a Christian, you are pretty well swayed by the Greco universality of thought and the Christian universality of morality, because that is our roots. So you still have this obligation to, at least in some form, appear to be the kind of person who respects these kinds of values. It's a rather horrible thing to say for those who are very conservative Christians, but that is why love wins, love is love, etc., etc. is such a strong message for the homosexual community. Why? Because that touches the heart of Judeo-Christian morality. Love is so darn important in Judeo-Christian morality. Of course it is. God is love, as John wrote. If you can jimmy-rig that into the homosexual community's values, you've got a pretty strong case. Even the homosexuals try to placate the values of Christians in order to be accepted in society. In such a society as this, you at least, in order to be respected by the community, have to pay some sort of penance, some sort of tithe, some sort of time to appearing to the public to be that kind of person. You have to go out and do your charity. You have to go out and do your lip service. You have to go out and defend the arguments. And so on. Now, once you've done that, well, you've done your duty. You've checked that box. You can go home and essentially do whatever you want. Because, hey, you're, you're a righteous person. You did the stuff. You checked the boxes. Good for you. Done for the day. Is that what? Christian theology, Christian morality, and universal Greco thought has led a nation to? I should hope not. What did Jesus mean when he was talking about the weightier matters of the law? Well, look at his teaching. See, earlier we were talking about neglect towards children. After you've done your Christian duty for the day, you've gone to church, you've prayed, you've whatever. What does Jesus say? He who has done this to the least of these, my children, has done it to me. Who are the least of these? The Christian typically wants to answer, that's the homeless, that's the needy, that's the neglected. And that is a legitimate answer. But they never say, children. The child in your very home. Why? Can you tell me any greater power differential than a parent to their child? See, most of you are going to want to answer, well, what, what about a king to a slave? What about the president to a secretary? Perhaps remembering a certain historical event in the near past. You really think that compares? I'm here to tell you it doesn't. 
a child born of two parents who knows no president, no king. At first, they don't even know an older sibling, provided there's one there. They might be the first child. They know no sustenance other than their mother's breast. And after that, they know no sustenance and no sustaining, no roof over their heads other than the one their parents provide. See, the secretary under the president still goes to her own home. She has her own parents. She has her own money. Oh, she might be very susceptible to the power of the president. Sure, as we have seen in history, in America. But she has her own means. She can go home. She can be away from the president. A child cannot. When a child goes home, he or she is under the banner of their parent. They are completely dependent on their parent until they start becoming adults themselves. And in spite of that vast dependence, why is it that it is so much easier to neglect the child than to neglect the homeless person around the corner? If you're a Christian, if you think that taking care of this homeless person, giving them a sandwich, giving them some money, is so terribly important. And don't get me wrong, it is important. I agree with James's words in the book, in his epistle, that true religion is this, taking care of the widow and the fatherless. That does include the poor very often. But realize that even he pointed out right there that children without a father taking care of them is true religion. However, if you're taking so much time taking care of fatherless children so that your children are now fatherless because you're not around, Who's really leaving the fatherless children unhelped, uncared for, unkept? The reason why it's so much easier to neglect your spouse and your children is because they're absolutely dependent on you. If you don't provide what they desire and need, they're not getting it at all. That is a lot of power. So your spouse has chosen to have you and to have you alone for the rest of her or his life. Therefore, unless they separate themselves from you, which is a deeply painful process, you are the only one who can give that to them. Your children never had a single choice in the matter. They didn't freely choose to marry you to be your child or anything like that. If you do not provide it, they can't get it at all. So, here's my point. If they're not getting it from you, who do they have to complain to? Who else do they have to get their sustenance from? 
Where else can get, they get the intimacy of a spouse? Where else can they get the provision of a parent? They can't. And even if they end up being able to, they're only going to be able to by severing the link with you, which is deeply painful and risks death. The death of love in your spouse, the death of life, physical life in the children. Why? Because they've lost their primary source of physical upkeep, of sustenance, of a roof over their heads, of protection from wild animals, and so on. So, until that massive break, if you neglect the people in your home, they have no recourse. They have no one else to seek. The only person they can complain to is you. The homeless person around the corner, the child without a father, they probably have a support structure if you're there at all. If you came there to help that person, they probably have the church. They have charity organizations. They have groups within churches that are designed to help children that are fatherless. The children in your home, they only have you. I once heard a story of a pastoral family, the parents of whom went to another state to go to some convention. I can't remember what it was. And this one gentleman who knew them decently well comes up and tells them about this wonderful ministry opportunity and how it was so deeply important. In fact, it was so important that they might need to take time away from their families in order to fulfill the journey, in order to fulfill the call. Now, this couple was wise. They said no. They rejected the man's offer in spite of his very strong entreaties. And why did they reject it? Because of that last part. Because it's so important that time with family might need to be taken away some. Saw the guy a few years later. Their family, strong, loving. I know this family. I've met them personally. They're still affectionate, joy-filled, life-filled people. They met with this guy again. He was divorced relationship with his children was broken, and that ministry that was so important completely torn to shreds. The weightier matters of the law are in your own life. The reason why we want to take all of these big important arguments about the differences between Protestants and Catholics and so on and so forth is because if we can convince ourselves that those things are so important, then the things that actually convict us don't have to ever have to be faced. The neglect, the hatred, the defensiveness, the dishonesty, the hypocrisy, that our own families can clearly see 
among those who are dependent on us? If we can convince ourselves that all these other things are more important, then we never have to face our own guilt. We never have to face their entreaties. We never have to face their complaints head on because we're already a, quote, good person. You can probably tell as I'm talking about this that there's a little bit more genuine passion and anger in my voice as I'm talking about it. Why is that? I've been wrestling for years wondering why the masks that I so often saw in the church pissed me off so much. And this, this right here, is coming a lot closer to the answer. They, so many of them, thought that they were good people because they went on the missions trip because they volunteered to help a person who is having trouble with their finances and her, her children and so on, and painted their houses and built their fences and so on. And don't get me wrong, I think that those are fantastic things to do. But I saw a mask. Not on everyone, but on a lot of them. What was happening at home? What was being hidden? What was being concealed? But I repeat myself. That always bugged me. See, if we are painting the tops of a fence and all the way down to the ground, making it look nice, maybe even garnishing it with flora, with some flowers and so on, with some wreaths. We can make it look real good. But if we have built that fence over a massive sinkhole, it's only going to look nice for so long until the collapse comes and it's all gone. No fence. Or you could use Jesus' own example. They paint the top of a grave to look so beautiful and hide the fact that there is nothing but rot and death just a few feet underground. This is what it looks like to be religious. This is what it looks like to be pious, but that's it. Nothing else. This is what it looks like to live your life trying to appear to be the right kind of person, to make sure that you have the approval of the public and not having enough energy to give that to the people who depend on you the most. Now, some of you might be turning to me at least figuratively speaking, going, wait, wait, wait. If we have to do all of that, if we have to take care of the people who depend on us day in and day out, all the time, every day, every hour, 
at least to the best of our ability and what is reasonable, and still have to take care of all of these public things and, and the homeless and the needy and the fatherless and so on and so forth. How on earth are we going to have the energy to do that? Have you read your Bible? Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? If once a man drinks of the water I give him, it will become in him a spring of living water. In other words, it will start overflowing out of him. And it won't ever stop. If you pay attention to the weightier matters of the law and take care of those first who depend on you the most, you will have energy to spare. Why is that? Because the people who depend on you the most are those whose approval means the most to you, are those whose life and joy and energy will fill you until you're bursting. And you will have so much life and so much joy and so much energy that you could hardly spend enough on the rest of it. But I warn you, if you choose to do that, you will have to face your guilt. You will have to face what you've done wrong. You will have to face your shame. You will have to face the fact that you have remained connected to people who do not deserve your relationship. Whose lives being close and intimate with yours corrupts you. Because that is the only way that you're going to be able to love those who are most intimate to you effectively. If there are people in your life, and I've talked about this a lot in my podcast already, if there are people in your life who are unrepentantly evil in their actions, then they will continue to tear you down and tear you down. If you keep them in your life, they will not allow you to rise. Oh, you can minister to such people. I've talked about this before as well. You can help them. But you can't be close to them. Because you, by so doing, have made them important people in your life. By being in relationship with them, you are saying that you approve of them. And their approval of you begins to matter if you stay close to them. And if they refuse to rise up and repent of their own shame and guilt then they will do their utmost to stop you from doing the same. Because they know if you do that, you're going to start separating from them. It can't be helped. You're either together in justifying your sins, or you're together in condemning all sin. There are no two ways about it. Well, there are two ways, but there's no happy in between. 
So what is my message? What is my title for today? Mind the weightier matters of the law. Don't you go around thinking that you could be pious and you can fill your holiness checkboxes and actually be a good person. Your life will drain away. The people who are the most important to you will hate you. And you will hate them. And that to you will be a black hole of darkness. But I am redundant there. It will be a black hole sucking out every good thing you've got until there's nothing left. And all you'll be doing for the rest of your days is revolving around that blackness, trying to justify yourself. Which is it going to be? Oh, but Adam, you need to remember that it's by grace we have been saved through faith and not by our works. It's a gift of God. Yes. That is true. Now, do you want to live or not? It is for freedom you have been set free. Do you want to be free? If you want to be free, you actually have to listen to the teachings of Christ. Those who care for the least of these care for me. Pay attention to the weightier matters of the law. Don't get lost in just piety and religiosity. That's how you do it. You can be saved and not free. It's pitiable. How about being saved and free? And with that, I'm spent. I hope you all have a good day and a lot to think about. Till next time.